Peace be with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, on this beautiful morning, we ask you again to break open our hearts and our minds so that we might know and live out what these scriptures have for us today. We pray this through Jesus, our Prince of Peace, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, one mystery, forever and ever. Amen. Children's Church. You are invited to be dismissed if you haven't left already. Or you can take your chances and stay for the sermon. He wants a front seat. Well, I sent you a map this past week that shows the astonishing spread of the Jesus movement in the very first century, decade by decade. How this movement quickly rippled outward from Judea, first to Galilee, then to Syria, then to Galatia, then to Turkey, and then to Italy. And the presence of ancient Christian communities in India, in Iraq, in Egypt, and Ethiopia, all reveals that this movement burst forth with tremendous power in every direction. So friends, what big bang causes this expanding universe of Christian faith and makes the followers of Jesus willing to endure imprisonment Floggings, stonings, shipwreck, and even execution. What happened? I don't think we can understand, even begin to understand, the propulsive outward power of this Jesus movement without first understanding the complete devastation that the, des- the, des- that the disciples experience after Jesus' brutal execution. We have to go back there. Because there we find wrenching sorrow. These folks have, lo- have lost their beloved teacher. We find trauma. Because Jesus died in the way that He did. But friends, I think we also find something else lurking in the hearts of Jesus' followers as they hide behind their locked doors. I believe we find crushing guilt and shame. In those first days after Jesus died, Do they remember how they argued about who was greatest 
and jockeyed for position in Jesus' new regime? Does Peter flash back to his bold but completely empty promise to lay down his life for Jesus? Do they recall how every one of them fled from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and how one of them even ran away naked? Remember that two weeks ago? And does Peter remember how after denying Jesus three times, a rooster crowed and he locked eyes with Jesus across the courtyard? What was that like? and then fled in tears. So what must it feel like for the disciples when they first meet the risen Jesus? Well, what do we experience when we first come into the presence of someone we have let down terribly? The disciples have behaved like Jesus' enemies, denying and deserting him, and so they must surely expect now his censure and his complete condemnation. And instead, dear friends, what do they get? They get his peace. Astonishingly, Jesus' very first words to these disciples who have failed Him, who have abandoned Him, our peace be with you. And we heard these same words last Sunday. In the Gospel of John, there Jesus meets the disciples up in the upper room and three times, apparently they're not going to get it, so He says it three times, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And to this day, it is this astonishing peace that we share with one another and with our world. So let's do that right now. I invite you to stand and to turn to those around you and to say, Peace. Be with you. Didn't that feel good? In those words, peace be with you, Jesus is showing us who God really is and what God is really like. 
longing to bring us back into a restored relationship. Here is Jesus stepping over all of the disciples' past wrongs and their tangled histories and ours as well. And making a new future possible. Forgiveness makes new futures possible for all of us. And all of this is God's completely free, utterly gratuitous, totally unearned gift. We don't need to spend our lives fearfully trying to save ourselves or anxiously bargaining to put ourselves right with God. Every terrible wrong and failure that separates us from God. What's in your blank? Has been forgiven. Jesus stands before us in His risen power just as He stood before the disciples inviting all of us into a restored relationship of sheer grace. Sheer grace. Beyond all earning, beyond all negotiation. You see, without God's grace, every human, everything human, eventually declines into smallness, hurt, and blame. But with God's grace, life rises up to spaciousness, relationship, and shalom. We become participants in the very life of God. We become participants in the very life of God. The love that circles eternally between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The love that flows endlessly between our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Did you notice this morning in today's reading that once again we find the presence of doubt and fear in the followers of Jesus? There it is again. Two weeks ago, these were present in the, wom- in the women at the empty tomb. Last Sunday, we saw it in Thomas. And next Sunday, it will be present in Peter when he encounters Jesus up by that charcoal fire along the Sea of Galilee. Dear friends, what this means is that if Jesus still loves and still sends out doubters like them, Well, there's great hope for stumblers like me and like you. Doubt and fear are apparently a natural part of the landscape of faith. We don't need to deny them. We don't need to push them down or to battle with them. We look at them carefully, our fears and our doubts, 
to discern whether God is speaking to us through them. Sometimes God does. But most of the time, at least in my own life, I simply have to let them go. And so I let these doubts and fears come, and I let them go to God. We let them come, and we let them go to God. This story today touches me in a very personal way. Because I have struggled with fear quite a bit since moving here to Lancaster City. Two summers ago, we felt very clearly that God was calling us to buy a home near our church here and to live in the neighborhood where our congregation is in mission. But as I've shared with you along the way, I soon saw many things that made me fear for my family's safety. And I began to wonder if we had made a terrible mistake. I began to wonder if we had made a terrible mistake. But as these fears were gradually replaced by relationships on our block, I began to realize quite painfully that a lot of my fear was rooted in my deep but unacknowledged feelings of racism and classism. I saw lots that I didn't understand and it scared me. And so God's call to this place, this neighborhood, has led my own family to do a lot of self-work and has led me to do a lot of confession and repentance. But along the way, I've also been slowly learning to more openly acknowledge my doubts and my fears, but not to live by them. Not to live by them. They're there. I see them. But I'm not going to live by them. Instead, I seek out the places that bring me joy. And I feel the most joy when I'm building relationships instead of retreating in fear and isolation. Did you notice how in verse 41, it says that the disciples, in their joy... They were disbelieving. (laughs) In their joy, they were disbelieving. How is that possible? Well, we do it all the time, don't we? In our joy and in our disbelief. And in my own life, I'm learning always to follow the joy rather than following the disbelieving part. Did you also notice how in verse 45, Jesus opens the minds of the disciples to understand, finally, the Scriptures? Just as He does with the two on the road to Emmaus. 
Jesus now breaks open their minds to understand where God's salvation story has been heading all along toward him. Jesus shows them how everything written in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms comes to fulfillment in him. In other words, this enemy-loving, life-giving, child-blessing, table-turning, foot-washing, cross-bearing, peace be with you, Jesus is our supreme revelation of who God is. Our supreme revelation, the icon of who God is. And Jesus is the one who helps us continue to open the Scriptures, even in our day, as we continue to face the endlessly new and challenging circumstances of our day. As he says in John 16.12, he still has many things to reveal to us. Things, he says, that will probably be surprising, challenging, and even downright difficult to bear. What What do you think some of these things are? Whatever they are, they will always bring a fuller measure of the life of God to us and to those around us. They will always bring a fuller measure of the life, the abundant, the fulsome life of God to us and those around us. In Jesus' invitation, did you notice in verse 39, to touch him? We saw the same invitation last week with Thomas. I believe he is also inviting us to keep touching him in the wounds of our world. Elsewhere, he promises that especially the poor, especially the hungry, especially the imprisoned will be the special portals of his living presence to us. I experienced this reality in a powerful way last summer. I was sweeping off our porch on Orange Street, When a woman comes rolling along in her wheelchair, pulled by her little dog. After greeting me, she asked me for some medical tape because the patch covering her eye had fallen off. Now, truth in advertising here, when she asked me, my first response almost on my lips, was, no, we don't have any. We just have this natural inclination not to connect. Not to enter into relationship with the other. But the love of Jesus just has a way of propelling us still. 
into situations of risk and discomfort and tension. And so I went inside, I found Danette, she found the tape, which is a minor miracle in our house. <laughs> and I handed the tape to the woman. But she didn't just want the tape, she needed my help in putting it on. She said, I have Bell's palsy. Can you please tape down my eyelid first? And then tape the patch over that tape. And it was then that I was really regretting that I hadn't said no. <laughs> Have you ever taped down the eyelid of a stranger? I never had. I don't think I've taped Danette's eyelid. <laughs> Kissed it a few times. And so there I was on Orange Street, taping down this woman's eyelid and then taping over the cotton patch on top of it. And it was an, an encounter of incredible and strange intimacy and even holiness. And that evening at our dinner table, I told Danette and Jasmine that I'd seen and touched Jesus that day. It felt that way. And my point in sharing this story with you today is to show how Jesus came to minister to me in one of his distressing disguises. I think Mother Teresa talks about that. Jesus always comes in one of his distressing disguises. And he came to awaken me from my sad dream of separation from others. Such a sad dream. A nightmare. And to awaken me to the joy of connecting with him through a woman that he especially loves. And this past week, I've been blown away by a podcast by Father Greg Boyle who works with gang members out in Los Angeles. I'll send it to you. It's in Krista Tippett's On Being series. And again and again in this interview, he emphasizes that serving others is only the hallway into the great ballroom. And he's not talking about the ballroom up in New Holland at Yoder's Restaurant. Service is just the hallway into the ballroom of relationship and ever-deepening union with God and those around us. So tomorrow night when you come to community meal, don't stay just in the hallway. Get into the ballroom. Think about our young people when you went down to Kentucky. All of you who have participated in service experiences. Did you just stay in the hallway, serve, and then go home? Or did you get in 
to the ballroom, to the heavenly banquet. So let us return to our opening question. What spiritual big bang causes the first century's rapidly expanding universe of faith? None other, none other than these transformational encounters between the risen Jesus and His followers. These people become such passionate witnesses of God's amazing grace because they have so personally experienced it. So our first job is to experience it so that we can share it with others. Forgiven much, they go out into the world to forgive and to love with the same lavish abandon of Jesus. And here we discover the tremendous centrifugal power of the Gospel propelling us outward to share with others what we ourselves have experienced. And Jesus sends us out too here at East Chestnut this morning. As He says in verse 38, to be His witnesses. Not people who are sure about everything. Not people who have the answers for everything. Simply witnesses of the risen Jesus whom we have heard and seen and touched in our own lives. Amen.